1: I jump out of bed because I love my life, living on my terms. I know that I will thrive, being myself. Clarity will thrive, so I'll stand down and be J-U-I-C-Y, stand down and be J-U-I-C-Y.
0: Hello, y'all. It's Lisa Cherney. Welcome to the Get Fucking Real Show. And today's guest has a confession that she has carefully curated this venue to share it with. And I have such respect for what she is going to reveal. And she has been told over and over again by various mentors, leaders, gurus, not to talk about the stuff that she's going to talk about today. So I'm super grateful that there is a megaphone for this story. Her name is Sabrina Truscott. And she is the other half of Tristan Truscott, who's from episode nine. And their union is such a divine union in their purpose, their passion, their healing. You must listen to this episode if you haven't yet. And let me ask you this. If you had bad things happening to you over and over again in a short period of time, let's say a couple of years, would you begin to think that you were somehow attracting them or somehow it was your fault. Well, this was her journey as a 19-year-old young woman who had never been away from home in Virginia ever before as a fresh young actress in New York, and then in Hollywood, hoping that Hollywood would be different than New York, and it was not. She has a beautiful story of a journey from... Being so self-deprecating that she became anorexic, so abusive to herself that she didn't even recognize in some cases when somebody was being inappropriate with her because she was so hard on herself. She is a beautiful woman in a very traditional Barbie-like way that she's been called Barbie. And a woman like that, that would in many ways in the past intimidate me and would really have me think like negative things about myself and compare her to me. And she's slim and athletic and just gorgeous. And we talk about what it was like when we met and how I was like having this whole inner dialogue with myself about about her beauty and like judging like what she must be like. and, And also kind of watching my thoughts and knowing like, gosh, you're really being judgmental, Lisa. And then she shares about what she thought about meeting me for the first time. And it's I'm so grateful that we had both done enough of our own work that we remained open to each other because this conversation is groundbreaking, so healing, so beautiful, so vulnerable, so quirky, just like Sabrina. And she says we should honor the quirk in ourselves. And I cannot agree more. So let's hear more about Sabrina and her fun credentials. She teaches dance, fitness, and energy, and she is a business coach. She loves to MC shows and direct video shoots, and she says, don't judge me for being multi-passionate. <laughs> and her priorities are snacks, a lot of respect for that, playing, and having deep, soulful connections. And what I most love about this conversation is the deep, soulful connection that we got to have in this period of time and that we get to transmit the the beautiful conversation and the beautiful awakenings and ah oh, just just oh, it's like i felt like it was like healing for womankind everywhere on this conversation and i just cannot wait for you to listen so without further ado Sabrina Truscott It's Sabrina! I'm so happy you're here! And this is like the other beautiful half of our episode number nine with Tristan, Triscut, and this is Sabrina, and they are, for those of you that are listening, you do not know the beauty that is this couple, inside and out, and I don't fucking say that easy, I want y'all to know, they literally are beautiful people inside and out. Sabrina, welcome to the show! (laughs) Thank you so much! You are very welcome. You're very welcome. I'm so excited to have this conversation. And I, I shared a little bit about how we met and stuff in, in the introduction, but I, I want to bring it into this space with you and just say, like, I remember sitting down, we went to a, a networking, like mastermind type thing with big, big wigs, big names in our industry. And I sat down next to my dear friend, Gina, who I haven't had on the show yet. And you were sitting next to her and she said, this is Sabrina. You have to meet her. You will love her. And for me with Gina, that's enough. But but I looked at you, and I had I, I had um, preconceived notions coming up. I had I can I could feel my judgments coming up, right? And so people are like, "Well, what does she look like?" Well, I'll tell you what she, she's. Sabrina lovingly calls herself, would you say Barb, Barbie, or you let you, that you have a Barbie look about you. Yes. Well, other people have named me Barbie and now it's just okay. Yeah. Which like she's, she is, um, gorgeous and, um, I'm, we're going to bring out, we're going to illuminate and put a big spotlight on, on what is it like to be a, a woman that is um, sort of typically or generally accepted beautiful? And what, and what, it, what is that like? And uh, for me growing up you know, with my own eating disorders and body image issues and all that, I have my own baggage with pretty ladies, um, much, 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 much less, but I still have the thoughts. And so I looked over at you, Sabrina, and she smiled. And we had like just a few minutes of conversation and I immediately knew I could feel her heart. I knew she was good people. I could feel her vulnerability. There was no walls, there was no pretense. She was vulnerable. It was like such a like and, and immediately it was like I forgot the way that you looked, which is which is how I often will experience people is not about what they look but it was but you're so beautiful that it's like it's like almost shocking to my system as a woman and all my bullshit baggage that I have around beauty right to to be able to then really drop in and be with you and I'm like you have to have you on my show um, as soon as you started telling me your story so um well when Gina introduced us
1: I had been in the audience and heard you speak numerous times and so I was so I like was nervous because you're so successful and you're so well spoken and you have it all together and you just radiate this huge energy. I'm like, how am I going to like come back at that? I'm just little old me. So it's so funny we had these two different worlds judging each other as you're you know you're such a winner and I'm I'm just here you know not seeing myself at all in the powerful way that you saw me. You know, we, we carry this false identity of ourselves around and then people project on us
0: another false identity. Oh, I mean, we could just drop the mic right there on that. I mean, right. I mean, and, and, and women do this, uh, I feel like even more than men do this. Right. Absolutely. And, and how much sisterhood we miss out on because of that. And, you know, we're just judging it, you know, the whole, that expression, which is so really true about judging someone's outsides, you know, by, you know, judging your insides by somebody else's outsides and and all of that. Um, so I am, I'm super grateful that I have done enough work on myself (laughs) and my own insecurities and my relationship with my body and my beauty and my self acceptance that I could, that I could really be available to create a relationship with you. Um, and that you have done the same. And so here we are, we get to, just, we get to be in community um, and, and in unity around a higher purpose, which is get fucking real. And, and, and all the ways that that serves our listeners with them stepping more into their mission and their impact in the world. So I'm very, very grateful that you are here, Sabrina. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's interesting.
1: I, I grew up in a really tiny little town in Virginia. I actually never left the state of Virginia or went on an airplane until I was 19 years old. And I didn't have any identity that I was attractive more than somebody else according to society. That just was never a thing. I knew that I was lanky. I knew that my legs were way too long and way too skinny and that I loved to dance and that I was very nervous and I had a lot of anxiety. I was an academic achiever. That was actually my thing, I loved to learn and I was competitive and like I got an ulcer when I was seven years old um, entering a coloring contest because I won and then they changed the coloring contest so I couldn't win anymore and I took it personally, like you changed the contest so that I couldn't win and I actually had to see a doctor. I had a lot of digestion problems. I was the little girl. I had diarrhea the first day of school every year. I threw up the first day of school every year. Um, I used to bite myself. So, just a lot of perfectionism. Like I'm not enough. Um, what can I do? What can I do to be loved? And that's what how I stumbled into dance because when I go to dance class. Every, it's a world of pretend. It's a world of imagination. It's it's all beautiful. Everyone is a princess. It's fairy tales and magic. And I never had those issues on myself in a, in a dance class. It was always just love and play. And that's really where I spent most of my time. And then in, in, in theater. So I was more nervous walking into that room and meeting you than I would be going on stage and performing in front of a thousand people because there was the cast and we were friends and we rehearsed and we were just pretending together and playing. And I was very comfortable in that creative environment way more than I was as a person. But when I could pretend to be someone else, then I I felt really safe. And it was really other people that put on me, you look like this, you fit this role, this, this is who you are. Because I, I never felt that inside.
0: And it's such a beautiful testament to the purity that we are as kids and really how susceptible we are to our own give, people giving us how we think about ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, me and I'm, I can't help but bring up, you know, my daughter in this conversation who's 13, who's a dancer, who who I am. So selective about what I say. Like, I I think uh, there's no place else that I edit myself or am mi- as mindful as what I say um, to my daughter. What I say about myself in front of my daughter. Right. Um, how I respond when she's making observations about her body or her dancing or her costumes or how things fit her. And because it's it's. Um, it is really shocking, right? How much those external forces shape who we are, mm-hmm. um, and and when I hear your story, I I hear a super sensitive, deeply feeling um, girl who, right? Probably you might even say you, you know, people talk about highly sensitive people. People in the spiritual worlds talk about, you know, crystal children and you know, indigo children and all this this these characterizations for. That pure being that we are, you know, when we're little, and how how um, uh, how much empathy that you had, and how empathic you were, um, which is, you know, probably where a lot of you know that sensitivity came from. And I love that you found your outlet in the arts.
1: Yeah, I loved the arts and musical theater. I just thought musical theater was the greatest thing ever. What can be more happy than being in the middle of a conversation and breaking into song and dance. <laughs> <laughs> Talking, I mean, what, what's better than that? And I took a workshop, it was in Virginia Beach where I grew up and it was my first time taking any kind of class on how to be on, on film. At the time it was called You're Real. And someone from New York had flown in to teach it and it was, maybe it was two weekends for three days and they made us a reel, which when they handed it to us, it was like 12 inches circle, like a big pizza. That's oh, it was literally a reel. Wow. <laughs> it wasn't even like a VHS tape. <laughs> and um, I just thought, you know, that was fun. And that was uh, in my first year of college. At the time, I was an applied math major. And someone had a,
0: the... You were an that, applied math major. I just have to... <laughs> just <laughs> Just let that sink in. Okay, keep going. <laughs> well, my, my my father worked
1: for NASA, and so I I grew up. He made math and science really fun, and I was top of the class and got a full academic scholarship. And so I just assumed that I would work for NASA too. That because I didn't know anyone who was a performer. I didn't know any actors. I didn't really. I didn't even know how you would do that. How do you leave Virginia? I'd never been on an airplane. Wow. So the director of One Life to Live took my reel to New York, called me at my home in Virginia, you know, the kind of phone that with the curly wire, you know, the, the wall phone. Yes, thank you for giving us that visual. <laughs> and and uh, this is Susan Scudder, producer of, of One Life to Live. You look a whole lot like a girl that needs to leave. Would you move to New York and take her part? And I, it was kind of like this. Well, hold on. Hey, mom, can I move to New York and be on One Life to Live? She said, well, I guess. I said, okay. Wow. And that was the first time I was ever on an airplane. Wow. And she said, you look like a girl who needs to lead or leave? Leave. She was leaving. Could I come in and take her place?
0: Ah, I see. You look like a girl who's leaving the show. Can you come in and take her place? Got it. Got it. Wow. So she met me at the airport. She hooked me up with agents.
1: I never did the pound the pavement or anything like that. Um, the girl changed her mind and wanted the part back. But by that time, the ball was rolling, and so many other things were happening for me and But so innocent, I ended up one of my friends from high school was studying musical theater and He was a a gay friend of mine and he had gotten a one bedroom place and he said I could stay in it with them because it had two beds in the bedroom. And then rent was so expensive, we got another girl and she shared my bed. So it was me and the girl in one bed and the friend in the other. And we lived on the Upper West Side. And I went on a musical theater audition for a show called Surf's Up and it was going to be the new Grease. Oh man, it was so fun. I was down to the last three people for three roles. It would be kind of like if I was up for the ingenue role, the Rizzo and the Frenchie in Greece. Got it. Yes.
0: Thank you for (laughs) that. My daughter just did Greece in theater camp. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And because I, in, in life, I was more quiet, but when performing, I liked the character roles. I liked the kind of sexy bimbo-y girl. That was fun. Or maybe the, the girl that doesn't quite get it, like Chrissy on Three's Company. I liked doing yes. that. I liked playing a real hillbilly, or even a mean girl. Those were all really fun. So I went to the audition, and the musical director said, "If, if anyone wants to work on their numbers tonight, I can see some of you one on one at my place because tomorrow's the big day. We're at the Michael Bennett Studio, and it's going to be cast." And so I was like, "Well, who wouldn't want to go, right?" So he said, I, I will come, and I, I went to his place, and we started singing the song, and he said, are, are you breathing properly? And I was like, yeah, I think so. I had danced at Bush Gardens. They had taught us how to dance and sing at the same time, and he said, I, I don't know. I don't really see your um, lungs expanding the, with the capacity that they'll need to to sustain these notes and project, and he said, why don't you... and at he, he was—he seemed old to me, like at least as old as my dad at the time. So I, I was just this is this is Broadway. This is professional. He said, "Could you lay down on the floor, so I can make I can see if you're breathing?" It's said, "Okay." I lay down on the floor, and I remember thinking, "This professional stuff is really different from Virginia. Like this, we would never do this in Virginia." But I'm going to be a big girl, and. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get scared because this is this is how it's done.
0: And you're 19. This is you're 19. Yeah, yeah. I'm
1: 19, but I, I I had never had sex. Um, I was w- waiting until I was married. I didn't drink, so I was I was probably more like a 13 year old. Yeah.
0: And you had never left Virginia. You had never you know this you had were just had been on a plane for the first time you know on your way yeah yeah. So then he he um,
1: straddled me and started unbuttoning my shirt and putting his hands on my chest and was telling me this would, he was gonna really be able to see if I was breathing correctly. And in that moment I thought, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to be a professional because the Virginia in me is really uncomfortable. I still was blaming it on myself and, but I was scared. I was really scared because I was pinned down with my shirt unbuttoned and this man's hands on my chest. And so I said, I said, um, this is really going to help me have a good audition. Do you know what time it is? And I said, I've got a screen test for a soap opera, but I really like where this is going. Can I go to my screen test because my agents are going to freak out if I miss it and come back and pick up where we left off? And he said, yes. And I just ran out and that was that. Wow. But it just so hurt my heart because I, I was so confused. Like, was he taking advantage of me or was he helping me? And who do I ask? Who do I talk to? I didn't tell anyone. For five years, I never told anyone. I
0: almost didn't remember it. So I want to pause and I want to thank you for sharing what you just shared and and for people listening, they might think that 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 you shared that with ease. And I want to let everybody know that that's not that that you're the things that you're talking about here in your journey um, are not things that you talk about regularly. You know, this is a show. It's called um, Straight Talk and Confessions from Successful Soulful Entrepreneurs. And and for you. This is very much of um A confession and an integration like like I want everyone to know that Sabrina took a lot of time to prepare for this conversation and um and and going back and reviewing these events and things that have happened to her and um I so appreciate and honor you for it and and the insight that you're able to like the insight you're able to share with us um as you continue to share what you're what you're sharing about that girl right? And her confusion. And even though that happened for you when you were 19, um, how present that confusion still is for us as women, us as adults, when we're on dates, when we're, you know, when we're, you know, and that thanks to me too, right? Mm -hmm. You didn't have any context. Like, you know, there was no context whatsoever for this being at all in a appropriate. Right. And so, you know, it's a, even prior to me too, we had, you know, there's been more talk, but now after me too, it's, it, it, it's almost like there is just a whole new vocabulary, a whole new awareness, almost maybe to, I was going to say an extreme, which people could judge that, but like, you know, to, to the ultimate sensitivity. So, so people can really see things differently and be aware. And then hopefully someday we'll be able to swing, you know, to a place where there's more comfort. Um, so I just wanted to drop into like that 19-year-old girl and sort of punctuate the experience and also, you know, let people know that what you're sharing is raw for you. And and this is, you know, this is your GFR wormhole story. You know, this, this girl that Um, at seven seven years old, had an ulcer, you know, because of a, you know, what your sensitivity really, and, and then how that young girl then begins this life as an actress and an artist, and what you've been through to become, you know, this beautiful, unapologetic artist that you are. Um, And I'm looking forward to that part of the story too, because everything you're about to share has had a purpose. Yeah. You,
1: you know, I, I haven't shared these stories before because I, I didn't want to like jump on a me too bandwagon. I never wanted anybody to feel sorry for me or that I do. I just, did I deserve it? Am I cursed? Am I blessed? Because just more things like this started happening way too fast, way too fast. Within a couple of weeks, I went to a, James Bond film audition, and I didn't have a SAG card, Screen Actors Guild. And the first time you get one, someone has to, it's called, I think, Taft-Hartley you, which means they have to put up a little money. And this, I, I read and, you know, I was really into like, oh, the scene. And then afterwards he said, the producer said to me, I could do this for you. What will you do for me? I'm going to be so good in that role. I'm going to just show up early. I'll stay late. I'll rehearse. I'm going to do such a good job. That's what I thought he meant. And then he rolled his chair back from the desk and indicated for me to crawl under the desk. Wow. And I was just so confused, like, Again, am I, am I making this up? Am I a drama queen? Am I imagining that he's asking me to do this? And I, I just said, I, I don't think I'm the right girl for this part. And I, and I walked out. So those two things that happened so quickly, and I didn't have like a manager yet. So I thought, well, that must be the answer. These things happen to girls without managers. And right around then, um, the head of ABC casting, Randy James, was going to leave as the head of ABC and start his own um, company and manage a handful of, of performers. It was Corbin Bernson, me, and my boyfriend at the time, Tom Bresnahan, and he took me to Hollywood. So that's, that's how I got to Hollywood. And I thought that everything would be different, that maybe New York was just dirty and scuzzy and all the bad people lived there. And um, I drove I drove my little tiny Datsun 200 SX from Virginia <laughs> to Los Angeles. And I got an apartment and not to, I don't wanna take all the time telling stories, but I was driving home from an acting class and I, um, I heard in my car, makes no sense, but I, I could feel a bad man, a bad energy breathing on my neck. And it was like, I could, I could feel, I could feel this bad energy coming for me. And the voices in my head saying, you know, Sabrina, you're just really damaged from those two other things that just happened to you get a grip, grow up. And then I was driving down the 101 and I had a place in Sherman Oaks and I pulled into my little carport and I just had to get out of the car and walk maybe like the distance of two houses to get to my apartment doorway, which was just a one story. And I had been on auditions all day. So I had on like high heels and I said, well, what if, what if you have to run? Just take off your shoes pack everything in one bag just in case. So there's these two voices happening, the one that feels the darkness and the one that can't believe it's happening and knew it wasn't happening, it's absurd. How can you feel a bad energy coming? And I got out of the car and I started to walk and I got past the foot of the car and I'm like, well, thank goodness, this nothing did happen. And this man came from behind with a thick rope and put it around my neck and started strangling me and dragging me to get into his car that was running. And I, I couldn't do anything, I could hardly move, but I knew he was coming and so I wasn't panicking It was like slow motion, like a car crash. And it was as if I could access all intelligence. I could see every option. I could hear everything. And I looked him dead in the eye. And I I didn't make a sound. And I whispered because I could hardly talk because he was cutting the air off. And I said, please stop, you're frightening me. And I think he was so startled my calmness yeah I was able to get a finger under the rope and duck and because I didn't have on shoes I could run fast enough and I got in my apartment and shut the door and then I broke down then I started hyperventilating and I was living with Tom at the time and Tom said like what happened And as I was telling the story, the guy had his face pressed up against the window. Wow. Tom grabbed a hammer and chased him, but he got away. And the police came and said that there had been three other strangle rape murders in the area. And that that was my destiny for the night and that I should move. So... After that one it's like law of attraction what what's going on am i am i so scared of these things happening that i'm creating them am i cursed because the baptist preacher told me i shouldn't dance because i was going to create lust if i was a ballerina or am i so blessed because i've been protected three times three times i was really really blessed and Just struggling with all of that. And and I was only there to to act. I was only there to pretend and have fun and dance and play around. And that's not what my life was about. And the anxiety is there and the bulimia is is really coming up because I want to be in control of something. So it wasn't fun. Maybe NASA would have been more fun.
0: (laughs) 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 As awful as that
1: sounds.
0: Yeah and, and I so appreciate your articulation of all the different ways that you're trying to come at making sense of it just trying to make sense of it and how often we do that and the different and also the different voices how you how you were able to share with us that you could you know that you had a strong intuition or premonition about this happening and then there was this other voice that was saying, like, you're just being silly, like there's no one in your car, like, what are you, and how, how, how do you navigate I, those two voices? Like, how do you continue to navigate those two voices? And then, you know, I would love for you to share um, maybe a little bit later. Like how much, you know, what, so much of what you now know and how, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, if you knew then what you know now about those two voices, um, I mean, what what's coming up for me is, is you're sharing with me about how abusive you were to yourself, that inner voice that, you know, the one that, that, that contributed to the bulimia, the one that, um, you know, used to say those horrible things to you, like, do you, do you see that as one of those two voices? Or is that, you know, it's I think where people always say, how do I know if it's my intuition or not? You know, um, so I think that's what I want to ask you is, um, what can you tell us about those two voices now?
1: Now, I, I have a, a daily practice of meditation, which I was just beginning back then, that I know how to quiet. I know, I know how to turn off the anxiety without having to dance. I can turn off the anxiety without having to uh, be in a musical. I, I can do it on my own. I know how to tap, tap in and connect to what I call my sparkle I was always I was getting the sparkle from the outside, but I didn't know how to just have it for no reason. I didn't know that I was worthy of love for no reason. I thought that I was only worthy of love based on my actions and how I looked. And if I'm ever wondering, is that my intuition? I'm going to say, yes, it is. Because I don't want to live a logical life. I don't want to do what my brain thinks is the right thing. I want to be guided by love. And I, I live the path of the miracle. And I say yes. And I lean into everything that feels like love. And I lean into everything that feels expansive and beautiful. And I'm always, I'm always going to listen to that as much as I can. If something feels yucky, it's not right for me. I go toward what feels good, because I think that's my version of, of God. God feels good. Love feels good. Alignment feels good. Lean towards that. And then the rest sort of becomes background. Like we have this really great camera, and it makes everything in the black background blurry. That's what connection yeah. does. It just kind of, not that it goes away. Like I was telling you earlier, there's still a voice that says to me, wow, Sabrina, you really had potential to rocket in this life, kind of wasted it. It's blurry. The one that still tells me, you know, if you just lost like six pounds, you look really good. Blurry. And what I want in focus is, is the being, is the alignment, is the soul, is the love. And to stop being so selfish. I was selfish thinking that it's all about me. I tell a story about what if I was a lifeguard? I better not do my, my job, jump in the pool thinking, does my butt look big as I jump in to save that three-year-old that's drowning? <laughs> or no. I, hope, I hope my dive looks really amazing. Now, my job is to save the three-year-old. And so much of my judgment was actually in a weird way selfish. And I was self-consumed. And I couldn't be of service because there was too much hatred coming at me from me.
0: Yeah, oh, thank you for that. So take us to your breaking point, the thing that had you leave, you know, the industry and that really launched you into what is yeah. now your work of purpose.
1: Well, I was, I was having a lot of success as far as getting the roles, making the money. I was only accepting starring roles. That's kind of like something your agents do. You're only as good as your last role, which that really helps bulimia, um, right the pressure so if I was on a sitcom I was the the guest star nighttime I was the guest star and I was under contract with 20th Century Fox to not work for another studio they gave me like $50,000 not to work for another studio to see if the show got picked up so that all felt really good but such small little nuggets of time compared to everything else that my all of my spare time started being in and questioning and wondering and seeking, you know, who who am I when I'm not pretending to be someone else? Who is it? Who loves to sing? Who loves to dance? I know I like that person that I am when I'm doing it, but what about this one? so a lot of those questions were percolating and I got down to the lead role, me and China Phillips for, and it was a, a real film, not Uh, like a little low-budget film, and the director came in, and it was going to film in Africa, and he flew in, and my managers took me to the Beverly Hills Hotel. I was probably 20 by now, maybe 21, and I had to go up to the suite by myself, and I walk in, and again, my memory is that it's an older man, and he has me sit down and it was kind of social and that just never happened before it's usually in an office or at a studio and this was a hotel suite and the first thing he said to me he goes make me a drink
0: wow make
1: you a drink um i don't know how to make a drink i don't you know i didn't drink so i'm like okay and he said he wanted gin and tonic i just poured one of those little there's a little like airplane thing in there and put tonic and gave it to him. And I didn't care for that because I wasn't there to be the waitress. I was there to be the movie star. Yes. (laughs) So what was he thinking? And then he said, he goes, you know, this is going to film in, in Africa for six weeks. Are you okay? Leaving town. I'm like, yes. Starring in my first feature film. And he said, and I really like to work closely with my leading actors. So, great. You know, I always, I was a really hard worker. That's what everyone said about me, all agents, managers, directors. They always said, you're such a good worker. I was always early, always stayed late. And so when he said, you know, we're going to have a really close connection, I thought he's just going to pull like the Academy Award performance out of me. And he said, and I don't want you to be distracted. So are you okay if no friends or family come and visit you for those six weeks? And I was okay. My my parents hadn't been out of Virginia either. I didn't think they were going to go to Africa. And then he said, do you have a boyfriend? And I said, yes. And he goes, well, it's really important that he doesn't visit you uh, because I don't want you to be distracted. And then he said something like, because you'll be spending all of your time with me. And he smiled in this horrible way. And I remember thinking, is this happening again, or is the s- silly Virginia girl projecting a bunch of stuff on a professional situation? You know, grow up, Sabrina. This is Hollywood. He's not doing that. He's. This is how it's done. And then he said, um, "What do your breasts look like when you're running around?" I think it would really but the final decision if you could take off your clothes and run around the suite so I could see how your breasts move because you're going to be running through the jungle and it'd be good to see ahead of time
0: fuck (laughs) amazing Um, and I
1: I think I I started to cry because I just couldn't believe that it's shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. And that I knew I had lost the part because I wasn't going to take my shirt off and I wasn't going to run around the room. And so like I lost the part. I lost the opportunity. I didn't get the lead. And were my managers going to be mad? Was I supposed to do it? Is this what's required? But I'm just not capable. It's out, outside of my possibility that i can do that and i left and i got to the lobby and i just started sobbing and told my manager my manager told me to wait a minute and he went upstairs and i have a feeling that that man probably got punched a little bit but that hope so (laughs) yeah and um that was I, I just couldn't do it again. I just said, I, I need a break. And I left. I didn't get rid of my apartment. I just left Hollywood. And I said, I just need to go find out who I am and, and what I want to do. And why is this happening? Because it's happening too much. Is it happening because I look like I look? And if it is, what do I do about that? I need to look like I look if I'm going to do this stuff. And this is just the way I look. It's how you look, right? Yeah. Like you look how you look. <laughs> and you know, I knew I must be emanating some type of victim energy too. Or I thought I, I must be putting that out. And it's funny. I married a self-defense teacher <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I left and I just really started diving into everything I could find um, on spirituality, on meditation, on on Buddhism, crystals, past life regression, chakra therapy. I did a lot of therapy. I did a lot of therapy on the part of me that beats me up, that needs to be perfect, that thinks things have to be a certain way, that never feels like it fits in, that it has so much social anxiety. You know, even now Tristan will say my husband, you know, let's go out. And and for him that's like soothing and for me it's like let me let me just let me prepare because I know it's just it I have anxiety sometimes out socially it's not my fun place so um, I really dove into meditation meditated for hours a day like two to six hours a day became a minimalist only worked enough to um, pay my share of a rent I lived with five people and then started dancing again Just plain old dancing. I saw a bunch of... (laughs) Just for fun. Just for fun. I saw a bunch of what looked to me like old ladies dancing around, and they weren't in great shape, but they sure were having fun. And um, it was in Austin, Texas, where I am now, and I walked up to the teacher afterwards. I was just walking by. I walked up and I go, what are you teaching? Because I want to teach it. And she said, it's jazzercise. And so I quickly went and... um, got certified and and bought a couple of jazzercise franchises and fell in love with that entrepreneurial feel and the business and the business side and the fun of dancing. And and it's Texas, it's not LA. So our California didn't seem like people had that self-hatred on their bodies or that same expectation. It seemed a little bit more loose and free. And then I started taking ballroom lessons and within three weeks the head of the studio asked if I would be his competitive ballroom partner. So I started dancing and practicing like four hours a day and ended up opening up ballroom dance schools and teaching and competing and I opened a wedding dance business. So I was back into the fun of dancing and, and playing.
0: Oh, I love that. I love, I love where the story is going. <laughs> your life your story but i just love it (laughs) on every word and and really appreciate the that the seemingly external circumstances that had you questioning yourself as a like you know am i attracting these circumstances where you're my word, being victimized, how that had you really going inward and to your own journey. And it, it was, it's almost like you wanted to purge anything that could energetically be matching the what they were feeling. Does mm-hmm. that, does that resonate with you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm just kind of putting that together. It's like, yeah, like I know that I say, horrible things to myself, but like, that's not okay for someone else. And I need to figure out, you know, like if it's not okay for them, then it's not okay for me to talk to myself that way or treat myself that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I saw a movie recently and it was trying to depict, like when we walked down the street that you could visually see thought bubbles and colors and energy above the person's head. And when thinking about this conversation with you, after a few of those things happened, I, my thought bubble above my head must've had so much. I'm someone who can be taken advantage of. Plus, you know, I, I maybe weighed 110 pounds. I'm not very big to begin with. I'm, I'm pretty easy target. If, if someone is looking for one at the time, although I'm not much bigger now, but I don't have that same energy. I never knew in every situation
0: and, if and there I, was eight. I, I want to say that, that you, you shared three, and then you went to the final one. And I just want to say that there's, s- there's five or four a, others in between that we didn't go yeah. into. So there was definitely a uh, a consistent a consistent um, bombardment uh, mm-hmm. that you were experiencing. Yeah, of all types of things. And it
1: never occurred to me until like ten years later when I took more self defense. To, to even with the rope around my neck or, or there was a knife, once a guy had a, a knife on me, that to scream, to fight back, I didn't know that was an option. I had cast myself as a victim. I had cast myself as, as it's okay to abuse me. Like you said, maybe I abuse myself. So... Join in the party, right? It's what you're used to. You can see it so much with a women in, in other situations. They find one man that abuses them, and then they find another that abuses them. We, we seek what's familiar. So it's not necessarily what's good. It's what we're comfortable with. So I, I kept creating situations to repeat that until when I said no to that movie in Africa, I didn't just say no to that movie. I said no I am not the victim. I'm, this is not the life I'm having. It's not worth it. And really went into the mindset and the meditation. Who, who am I beyond that? And started seeing myself as, as the soul, as the soul that's choosing the life and choosing the path. So when I started doing jazz exercise and, and ballroom dancing, I was already, I was just that happy. I didn't
0: have that pressure. My sparkle is back. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. I love how you characterize that inner aliveness, that joy, you know, as sparkle. And, you know, for the people that get to see you on on video, our GFR squad members will get to experience you for our bonus that we're going to tape for them. And, you know, uh, you, you, that is you. Like you are, you exude sparkle and in, in a just in a beautiful, authentic, juicy, inviting way. Not in a plastic, unapproachable, you know, way. Mm-hmm. I like your sparkle.
1: <laughs> I I love sparkle more than anything in the world. It is the first thing I think of in the morning. The absolute first thought I have is thank you for my sparkle. Let me be the sparkle. May I share the sparkle? Hmm. Every morning, I set my alarm 15 minutes before I could possibly have to get up to just commune, commune with the sparkle and remind myself before I get up and start taking care of the dogs that that's what my life is devoted to. And only that and anything else is just a bonus. It's just something to do while I'm spending time on planet Earth, and it only has meaning if it's covered with sparkle.
0: I love that. So let's share the what I feel like is the, the you know the final chapter of this part of your story. Right, yeah. you're still living it, so it's not the final, <laughs> final chapter. But and I love that we had Tristan on. He's episode number nine, y'all. You've got to meet him and hear him and feel him, and he shares very poignantly about um when sabrina came into his life and of course you share a you, you know it's fun well it's i want to hear your side right of the significance of that union and that yeah. encounter um and then where you are now and how this artist in you is expressing with yeah. your sparkle and yumminess that you now know yourself to be yeah well i met actually
1: met tristan in a meditation class Early, early on, we were just friends. I thought he had really long hair and a surfboard strapped to a truck and I was just sure he probably smoked pot. So um, that was was in LA. But it wasn't until everyone seemed to kind of, they were coming to Austin and I was teaching dance in the same big um, sports club. He rented a section to run a martial arts studio And I would go there and just rent hours to do some of my ballroom classes. So we were seeing each other there and he was, he and his staff were taking ballet classes from me so that their kicks were better. So it wasn't that it was to see me in a leotard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think both are true. I think both are true. (laughs) (laughs) But
1: you know, his, you know, definitely his, sharing with you is so much about, he had a crippling back injury for almost five years. And that's really when our relationship transitioned to more than friends. And that when you were, we were speaking earlier, how do you know to listen to that voice? We were just friends and we were at a swimming pool, not together. I was there just in the afternoon with some friends, a natural spring here in Austin. And I saw him pull up in his special car like a handicapped car and and try to get out. And he couldn't make it down the couple of stairs to swim. And I just saw this athlete that I had known since he was probably 21 turning into, he was miserable. He had lost his identity. He, He could hardly even walk. And something in me just, I felt such a connection. I just walked up to him. And we had talked, but we were more like common friends than the connection ourselves because he actually was my best friend's boyfriend for about four years way back.
0: So that creates its own sort of barrier or
1: wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I always thought he was just, just the most handsome thing in the world. And... Uh, So I just walked up to him, and I I just said, I was crying. I said, I'm so sorry about your back. And he he just looked at me, and it was to see this strong martial artist, this killer, right, this champion, look so beaten down, so, so beaten down. And I, I could see he had consumed the identity. I will never get over this. I am crippled. I am the guy who lost his martial arts school. And something in me said to help separate him from that identity, and out of my mouth came, well, what if it was our back? What if we take the identity off of you and we work on it like it's our back? And I think we've probably spent every day together since then, and it it gave him the uh, permission to step away. And to have someone to talk to about it. Because everyone was, after five years, everyone's tired of hearing about your pain and tired of hearing about your little steps to progress and falling back down. And and it does wear on you. Putting on his shoes for so many years, carrying the groceries, opening the door. I wanted a man who could be my big strong man. And I ended up, I was pushing a wheelchair. You know, so I had to be that other role. Which karmically, if you think about it, I was the victim, and then I, I got to be the hero during his nice. healing. But right. what that invited us to do is when he had this miraculous healing through energy arts, we wanted to share what happened to him with so many people that are suffering that he said, let's make DVDs and CDs. And so I got to film them. I got to be behind the camera and set up the lights and and be back in my version of Hollywood, I'm in control, I'm the director, I'm the producer, I'm gonna wear my clothes, I'm not gonna run around naked. And it was so fun. And he was so good to work with because he's so naturally talented. Um, but we, we didn't know anything about budget and we spent way too much money, more money than we could ever make off the products at the time. And then we, we went and took a workshop together on live casting before there was Facebook Live. And we, we won an iPad and we went home, we won it for fast action takers, because he's a really hard worker too. And we launched a course using, uh, I think it was Google Hangout. And then we did something else. And in five days, we, 10 days, we did a five day live event and we made $100,000 in 10 days wow. through live streaming. And we were just like, that's so fun because you don't have to pretend to be anybody. You don't have to be any characters. You can just be yourself. You can sing and dance if you want. There's no rules. You get this authentic connection with the people who are watching and they really get to see you and know you and like you. And if they love you, they'll buy your stuff. And if they don't, that's, they can go buy somebody else's stuff. And our business just skyrocketed and we started teaching fitness classes and Qigong classes and meditation classes. And then more people came and said, will you teach me to do that? And I realized that all that knowledge that I had from loving to perform are actually skills that I always assume, well, everybody can do that, but they can't, they don't know how to be comfortable. They don't know how to um, say things in a natural way or how to stand or how to light or how to come up with what to say. And that's just the easiest thing in the world for me and to get to help small businesses, a lot of coaches add that to their business. That's really what we're loving right now. And the first step that I teach them is connection, that you have to connect to, they have to connect to their sparkle first and foremost. And then they can connect with other people because other people will feel your sparkle if you're connected to it. And if you're not, you're just gonna be just a, a talking head that you're not going to feel it. You can tell when people are reading teleprompters and they're not connected to their heart and they're reading something somebody else wrote and they haven't really turned it into their own. So that's, um, that's where our business has gone. And that's what I'm just so delighted every day to get to do that. I feel like I am playing, you know, I'm not, I can find my sparkle without doing it, but boy, it's fun to do from a place of sparkle and, uh,
0: yeah. I think that's a really poignant thing you just said is that you can find your sparkle without it, which you didn't know how to do before, right? No. And so you, you figured that out for yourself. And now, you've, now you have inserted work, quote unquote work, that allows you to feel it even more and have more fun. And so like, that's the best of both worlds. And you could feel your sparkle without it and you get to have that yeah. with your work. So- Bravo, Sabrina, like, (laughs) oh my God, it's just such a, thank you for, thank you for talking. You know, one of the things we talked about before we plus play, plus role was you said, how many times and how often people tell you not to talk about your experiences not to tell people you're an actress not to tell people what happened to you and fuck that i'm so glad that you have this space um, and that you took this opportunity and again honored that you picked this you know my show and this this space to do it and thank you for talking thank you for telling thank you for sharing and just yeah. Anything you want to sh- share about yeah. the significance for you in in the talking about all this? Yeah, it's it's been so
1: healing because when you invited me to to be on the show, I actually I think the first thing I said to you is, "Oh no, no, you should interview my husband." You did. Um. Because it, it it's actually one of the your commandments number number ten is not valuing what you have to offer. It's like, well, I don't really have and, – and nothing's happened to me that's very interesting. I don't really have a story. You know, I didn't have a back injury that I had a miraculous healing. You know, And from saying yes to you, I actually um, – there were a few days that I was like, you know, I'm going to call Lisa and tell her I'm out because, yeah, my – and to me, I just – I never really thought – I haven't had the opportunity. I tried to forget a lot of the things because they were so painful, but in preparing to talk to you about it, I got to experience gratitude because I know the anxiety that my business owners have now. And I, I know the pain of feeling separate from source. Everything is always there, just a little out of focus. So I'm totally, can be totally connected and aligned and in and, and pure joy. But I know if you just sometimes just lean a little bit the other way, other things can come in. And I love having that understanding because it helps my compassion level. Like if you've ever hurt your back, I, I lifted a heavy bag about four years ago and I couldn't move for a few days. I could never understand what the big deal was. Like your back hurts until your back hurts. So I'm, I'm so grateful you invited me to tell my s- story and to recall all those experiences and how I did question myself and to remember that I didn't used to know which voice was the voice of sparkle and, and the voice of um, the one that's the judger the Virginia voice, the conservative, the mommy, the you should, you shouldn't, the acting teacher that told me this, to know how to listen to the one voice. And I feel so blessed that life unraveled the way that it did to give me the opportunity to have that connection that I have because it's just the most – I'm so blessed that I can connect to Sparkle. Anytime, no matter what it never leaves me and the body's getting older I'm in my 50s the body's changing the face is changing the sparkle just gets more sparkly and that's, that's just such a beautiful gift to have had and being on the podcast has helped me rejoice in that even more
0: beautiful thank you for that And you, um, yeah, just like, ah, it's like, ah, this is all audio. So they can't see that. I'm like just squiggling in my body and taking in what you're saying and gazing at you lovingly. And it's just, um, so delicious. I, my intention is that this is, you know, transmitted in all its sparkle, you know, to our listeners and, you know, something that you said about commandment number 10, Number 10, I want to make sure it doesn't get lost because um, so, so let me just remind everybody what commandment number 10 is. This is the 12 GFR commandments. If you haven't gotten your copy, you need to do it. (laughs) You need, just need to do it to, for many, many reasons in addition to connecting with our guests, but also yourself. Um, So commandment number 10 is know that the struggle, stress and pain prevented with your expertise has enormous monetary value. And our confession question for that commandment is where am I not owning my value? And so I asked you, you know, why is that one resonating with you? And I think it's worth I don't know, as our final note here on this interview to share with people why that one resonates with you. Because again, I look at you and you're I'm um, just stunning and 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 I and you know, the little girl in me is like, doesn't she have it all? Isn't she just know that life is perfect for her because she looks that way. And, you know, it's just like, for for me to even connect with that you don't know your value it also doesn't compute, but that's my own shit. So,
1: <laughs> right. It's all
0: our own shit. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us why commandment number 10 resonates with you so much. I think because my habit
1: has been to overachieve, every time that I achieve something, it's no longer a, something that I'm attaining to. And so I just make a, a line, like everything that I can do must, is pretty easy. Everybody can do it. And then what I can't do, that's what's hard. And I don't value the gifts that are natural. I don't. I, it's very hard for me to see. Maybe you've done something for so long that it's just part of you, and then I'll I'll teach or I'll say something on a sharing in one of our meditation classes, and I'll get these messages. How I remember when you said this when this thing happened, and it helped me. And I'm always like, oh wow, I I forget that my insights, the way that I see the world could really help somebody and it's selfish of me not to share and a lot of times it's easy to just not say anything it's, it's more chicken I play chicken chicken little <laughs> and uh, well I just not say anything and I don't own my value in that way and the same thing with asking for money for what I do some things are just so easy for me that I would not charge what it's worth how I could transform what someone's presentation, let's say on video, whether it's live or pre-recorded, could change their bottom line tremendously. But I'm like, well, I just told them how to do it, <laughs> right? <laughs> so really, really knowing that that is a talent and a skill, not just a, oh, I'm
0: just playing pretend, right? Like that, that feels so small. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you are owning your value and you are giving people the opportunity to invest through you, because I could see how much that served you, right? We don't, you know, not just monetarily, actually I'm not talking about that at all. Like I could just see how much it has served you to say, yes, what I, what I have, even though it feels fun and it's super easy, has value. I, um, I'm giving you this opportunity to make this investment in yourself. And then I could just see this loop I'm I'm using sort of the circular motion with my hands. I could just feel how that's fed you and that acknowledgement is helping you to acknowledge others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you for that. <laughs> so what would be your final what I kind of feel like I'm 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 getting that there's a kind of a final thought to, to people that are listening that really resonate with the idea of feeling more sparkle, connecting with their sparkle. Um, yeah, I feel like that's what I, I would love to have our sort of final thought be on for the people that are listening, like where they could start and, and yeah.
1: I think that we can miss our sparkle because that's just our my inner being. It's just me. I, I miss me because I'm looking for me everywhere else. And that one of the most difficult things to do is for people to see their own strengths because they're too close. So they say the fish can't see the water or something like that. (laughs) That for most of the business people that I work with and, and other people, if they would stop, if they could for a minute, see themselves the way that I see them like the quirky thing about them that I think is so fun and they're hating on themselves for it because it's not normal, but because it's not normal, that's what makes it so amazing. Or somebody's body looks a little different. Maybe that's what makes them so beautiful. Like I was talking to you earlier about yes. dogs.
0: Yes. Tell the dog thing. That's an awesome place to, to... yes. Yeah, so yes, I love this metaphor
1: with, uh, I, when I was teaching a lot of fitness and, and helping people, Accept their bodies and transition their bodies into the one that they wanted. The first step was seeing that we are all just like different breeds of dogs, and that some of us are are poodles, right? Some are labradors. I have two uh, King Charles Cavalier Spaniels in here, and some have little short, stubby legs. They're not going to stretch. They're not going to get any longer. Yeah. So if my spaniel is jealous of of the Dalmatian and thinking I'll be happy when I have dots, my spaniel will die a sad dog and vice versa. If, if a short eared dog, if a little Chihuahua thinks I need those long fluffy ears of the spaniel, it's life will, will be wasted wanting to be something that it's not. But if my spaniel just says I'm going to be the best spaniel that I can be, then that's really beautiful. And I love thinking about those wrinkly dogs. We love those wrinkled dogs. Can you imagine if that wrinkled dog was a woman, how she would hate on herself, (laughs) right? Or the dogs that drool. Like if we could see how cute we are, almost love ourselves the way a mother loves a child. We are the way that we see toddlers and we see them doing things. What if we could see ourselves like that? I say to myself, if I can look at my dog and love my dog so much and just know that sparkle sees me and loves me more than I could ever imagine and just be that. Just be, be what, what you were given to the best that you can and let the kookiness out. Let the kookiness shine. You Don't add it. It's already there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's already there. We're all we are all a mess in a beautiful way. We're all big hot messes. And if we just like are okay and authentically be that, I think that's why I love live video. People are way more okay. You know, this is where I live. This is my house. This is my rug that doesn't match my curtain. Isn't it okay? You know. Yeah. And just seeing the sparkle in them that they see in another. If you can see it in another person, you're only seeing it because it's in you. Because every other person is just an excuse to love on ourselves. And every other person is just me hating on myself if I hate on them.
0: So let the kookiness out. I think that's a (laughs) great final word from Sabrina (laughs) Truskett. Let the kookiness out, (laughs) y'all. Thank you, Sabrina. I love you so much. This is such an honor to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a wonderful conversation. I wrote down live a logical life, that she does not want to live a logical life. And I just have so much reverie for that intention. And she is just so sparkle. And like, that would make me gag if there was any other messenger but her. And if you're in our GFR squad, you'll get to see her on video and experience experience her. And it is quite a delight. And um, for our squad members, she teaches um, a pretty awesome training on the top tips to make your live video better. I learned a lot. I'm going to like implement some of these things right away. So if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, join the GFR squad. It's only 20 bucks a month. Go to GFR GFR.life forward slash squad. And make sure you download your commandments. Commandment number 10, we had such a juicy conversation about that and really owning your value and how she would discount her just like discount her value because it was so easy for her. So if that's resonating with you, I wonder what other commandments would resonate with you. So that's another action to take if if you like this GFR conversation, if you want to not just be a bystander, but actually like get involved and take some action in your for your own GFR. So download the commandments at GFR.life for 12c. Of course, all these links are in the show notes below. And then the final gift I wanted to give you is a way to stay in connection with Sabrina, and that is through her um, go live gift. So that is a link, there's a link for that below as well, which is a checklist. Um, for doing live video. And then she um, really expands on it and teaches us some juicy stuff in the GFR squad. So hope you join us over there. I would love to be in connection with you, be in conversation with you, and help you to GFR because that will increase your impact and your income and your joy in your life. That's all for now. Until next time. Bye-bye, everybody.